I'm, I'm really like yeah. amazed because it's the first time I've read this. I've never seen it before. Today we're going to be talking about uh, one of those great mysteries uh, in religion. Uh, one of those topics that's fascinated uh, people over the course of the past, uh, you know, 3,000 years. And that is the topic of the Antichrist or the Tijet. So we're going to be speaking specifically uh, together about the Antichrist in a series of episodes. It's going to be three episodes. Uh, the first one we'll be talking about uh, the character of the Antichrist and Judaism. The next episode will be the Antichrist in Christianity. And the last one will be the Antichrist in Islam. And we'll cover both Sunni and Shia Islam. Uh, it's a very uh, big topic. And uh, yeah, let's jump Right now, what do you think? Yeah, that, that sounds great. Uh, it's a really amazing, fascinating topic. And I actually, I think a lot of people have been interested in this topic in recent years because, uh, you know, many people haven't started to notice that we're seeing a lot of end time signs come true. And one of the big signs of the end is this figure, uh, the Antichrist, and a lot of uh, eschatology. So I guess, what is the Antichrist? The, the Antichrist is a, a figure who is known as the, the opposite of Christ, the, oppo the, oppo the opponent of the, the savior figure. So you have this savior figure, the Messiah in Judaism, and uh, the Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and in his second coming, he will be opposed by an Antichrist. That's actually one of the signs of his second coming. And in Islam as well, we have the same uh, figure, the Dajjal, uh, who, who comes at the end times and the time when the Mahdi comes as well. So, yeah. Yeah, is in Islam, it's, it's the Masih al-Dajjal or the Masih al-Dajjal. And the Masih al-Dajjal is, uh, is the Antichrist. And he appears before Jesus is uh, coming to uh, mislead people away. So... Now we come to the topic of the Antichrist or the Anti-Messiah in Judaism. Is this concept there in Judaism? Um, if you were to ask one of the, the Jewish scholars, uh, you would likely hear the answer that it's not a part of the Jewish belief that there will be this uh, Anti-Messiah. But if you look into the scriptures, and even in the Christian belief, uh, they use uh, Jewish scriptures to prove uh, that the Antichrist, uh, to talk about the Antichrist and to look for the signs of what he will be like and what he will do. So um, if you look into the, to the Jewish scriptures, you actually can find evidence of such a figure, I think. I mean, at least I know that in, if we look at some uh, scriptures like Daniel 7, uh, this is used in parallel with the book of Revelation to, uh, to kind of say that there's uh, the same figure being talked about in the book of Daniel and in Revelation. That's what I know from my background and what I learned. Yeah, I think if you ask the average Jew uh, or you look for the topic online and you're listening to what the scholars are saying, most of the rabbis, they say, yeah, we don't have this concept of an anti-messiah 
uh, in Judaism. This is something which was made up uh, in Christianity. Um, and and the implication is uh, that basically uh, the Christians started following this liar, this charlatan uh, named Jesus, uh, who claimed himself to be Jesus, uh, to be the Messiah, sorry. So Jesus gets crucified. He dies on the cross. He doesn't fulfill any of the criteria of what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. And then the Jews kind of imply that maybe the Christians have made up this concept of the Antichrist or the anti-Messiah to because they were afraid that the true Messiah would come forward and they would be exposed as liars. Uh, so they wanted to hurry up and claim that the Jewish Messiah, the one who they knew was to come, was a false one. Do you understand? I understand, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, at the same time, when we look into the Jewish scriptures, we find that they actually do have this concept of the anti-Messiah. Now, when I am talking about Jewish scriptures, I'm talking about Old Testament, but I'm also talking about um, their midrash, their collection of hadiths or narrations, the writings of the rabbis and the scholars over the generations, the texts that didn't make it into the Torah or didn't make it into the, um, you know, the Old Testament, but that they still regard as holy, which some of them included uh, the writings or the, the words that are attributed to um, Old Testament prophets. So let's go ahead and take a look. First, let's look at what's in the Old Testament and we'll go from there. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and read this, Daniel chapter yes. 7. The Interpretation of the Dream I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth and that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. 
His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Okay, so that's Daniel chapter 7. Yes. And, and, and that's quite interesting. And, and what's, uh, what's amazing about uh, Prophet Daniel's vision is that uh, it records in there the vision, and then it records in there uh, the interpretation after it. And basically, he sees um, these different beasts. Uh, there's four different beasts that he sees. Uh, the interpretation is that each one of these beasts is a king uh, from a certain time period. And then there's this other beast that's special. It's different from the rest. It has uh, ten horns and then uh, it has this little horn. And those are ten kings. And the last one, which is the little horn, is like an arrogant one, one that is challenging God. He's wanting to deceive the people. He's controlling the whole world. He's typically understood to be a kind of uh, um, anti-Messiah or son of Satan type figure. Um, if we can go on to Daniel 8, we'll see in there that, that we have more signs of this character. Daniel's vision of a ram and a goat. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything that it did and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. The Interpretation of the Vision While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, 
understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went to the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Okay, so now we see that Daniel is not having just one dream uh, concerning this uh, rebellious king, um, this evil king who appears, but it's like a series of dreams. And we also know from Daniel 8 that it is clear now, uh, because it's said to him in the interpretation by the angel, that this dream, this vision is concerning the distant future. This is something that's going to happen in the future. It's not happening during the life of Daniel. And we know also that this king that's being dreamt of, that's so concerning and making Daniel so exhausted, is somebody who's going to be fighting against the prince of princes. Now, who is the prince of princes for, um, you know, for the Jews? Who would that be? Uh, I believe it would be the Messiah. It would be the Messiah. He, he's the prince of princes, right? For the Jews. So the person or the king who's fighting against the prince of princes is naturally the anti-Messiah, right? Okay, let's, let's see if Daniel has any more visions. Let's move on. The king who exalts himself. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his ancestors. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god, and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hands. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. 
he will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt, with the Libyans and Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. So, as you saw, that's, that's a very big dream that uh, Daniel has, uh, prophecy. And it's that section, if we can go back one slide, uh, the section that talks about the king who exalts himself. Yeah. It's, it's just this part of uh, this chapter of Daniel that the Christians understand to be a description of the, of the Antichrist. Now, what the Jews state about this vision and the other two visions uh, that came before, uh, they usually interpret it to be because Daniel didn't specify uh, in the text itself, exactly what time it's talking about, exactly the names of the kings or the empires which it's referring to. So the Jews kind of understand the dreams to be talking about political events that are going on uh, in or around or in the near future after uh, Daniel. But it's not, uh, it's not something which is proven. The Christians understand it in a different way. And they understand that the king who exalts himself along with a couple of the other verses that have to do with the, uh, the abomination that causes desolation, they consider it to be um, references to the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the reason why they are so sure that these verses are pertaining to the Antichrist is because there are cross-references to these verses and to the chapter of Daniel, which exists in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and also in the book of Revelation. But that's something that we're going to go in more depth about in the episode about Christianity. So is there anywhere else uh, in the the Bible that we have references to the Antichrist? Yes, there's the only places actually, uh, it's strange, like that you, you imagine that the, are, are you talking about the, the whole Bible, right? The, the Christian Testament. Bible. Okay, the Old Testament. Uh, as, far as, as far as I was familiar, this was just uh, the book of Daniel exactly. talking about. And so now we have Daniel chapter 12. The end times. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, Roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward the heaven, and I heard him swear, by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and half a time, when the power of the holy people has finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. 
Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who awaits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end, you will rest, and at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So once again, we have in Daniel 12, we have references to um, this individual um, who is abolishing the daily sacrifices and who's setting up the abomination which causes desolation. And we have a, a time frame for how long um, this fitna is going to last, and it's about 1,290 days. Okay, um, so basically, if that would be it, and then from a Jewish standpoint, um, there's no such thing about the anti-Messiah in Judaism. Um, I, I, I would argue that's up to interpretation because if you, if you look at these from, if you look at all of these verses, they're clearly talking about something and someone that's going to come. But I guess it is not referred to as an anti-Messiah by name or... Um, and more, it's not referring explicit. to, yeah, it's not, it's not extremely explicit. I mean, okay. from a Christian perspective, knowing what exists in the New Testament and combine in combination with this, it's, uh, it's pretty clear. But from a Jewish perspective, I guess it would, it might appear different. But well. there is a character in Judaism, um, whose name is Armilus. Do you know about him? I have heard the name. And do you know what the name is referencing? Um, I, it, it's a name that appears in some of the books that are not in the Old Testament. They're not in the Hebrew Bible, right? It's, um, a character that some people refer to as possibly being, uh, the character that's talked about. Yeah. So there's a character that appears in Judaism and some of, some of the Jewish texts and his name is Armulus. And we're going to look at some of the texts which refer to him in order to figure out who this character is. Let's start here. Okay. With the prophetic vision. Okay. The prophetic vision of Zerubbabel ben Shilto. Who is Zerubbabel? I don't know. You don't know? No. He's basically one of the Hebrew prophets. He's mentioned in the Old Testament. Um by name, and he was pretty much the governor of Judea, uh, who was appointed by God. So he was a prophet who was appointed by God at the time of Cyrus, when the temple was being uh, rebuilt. Okay. Okay. This is the word which came to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotiel, future governor of Judah. On the 24th day of the seventh month, the Lord showed me this spectacle. There, while I was prostrate in prayer, before the Lord my God, experiencing a visionary spectacle, which I saw by the river Kabar. And as I was reciting the passage of Emida, which ends, Blessed are you, O Lord, the one who resuscitates the dead. My heart groaned within me, thinking, How will the form of the temple come into existence? 
he answered me from the doors of heaven and said to me, Are you Zerubbabel ben Shiltiel, governor of Judah? I responded, I am your servant. He answered me and conversed with me just as a person would speak to their friend. I could hear his voice, but I could not see his appearance. I continued to lie prostrate as before, and I completed my prayer. Then I went to my house. On the eleventh day of the month Adar, he was speaking to me again there, and he said to me, Are you my servant, Zerubbabel? I responded, I am your servant. He said to me, Come to me, ask anything, I will tell you. What might I ask? That my lifespan be short and my destiny fulfilled? He said to me, I will make you live a long life. He repeated, May you live a long time. A wind lifted me up between heaven and earth and carried me to the great city of Nineveh, city of blood, and I thought, Woe is me, for my attitude has been contentious and now my life is at great risk. So I arose in distress in order to pray and entreat the favor of the name of the Lord of Israel. I confessed all my transgressions and sins, for my attitude had been contentious. And I said, Ah, Lord, I have acted wrongly, I have transgressed, I have sinned, for my attitude has been contentious. You are the Lord, the one who has made everything by the command from your mouth, and who with a word from your lips will revivify the dead. He said to me, Go to the house of filth near the market district. And I went, just as he had commanded me. He said to me, Turn this way, and I turned. He touched me, and then I saw a man who was despicable, broken down, and in pain. So basically, in short, so far, what's taking place? You got this Hebrew prophet, okay? Uh, he's living in the time of Cyrus. Um, the temple is not yet rebuilt. Um, he's in a state of prostration. He's praying to God. He has this cash while he's in Sujud. He has a cash where he has a vision. And in the vision, God sends him uh, to this house of filth um, where he encounters somebody. Who is this somebody that he sees? It's described as a despicable man. Who's this despicable man? Have you read this before? No. Okay, so. let's, let's find out together. Find out. That despicable man said to me, Zerubbabel, what business do you have here? Who has brought you here? I responded and said, a wind from the Lord lifted me up and carried me to this place. He said to me, Do not be afraid, for you have been brought here in order that he might show you. And then you, in turn, might inform the people of Israel about everything which you see. When I heard his words, I was consoled and regained my self-composure. I asked him, Sir, what is the name of this place? He said to me, This is mighty Rome, wherein I am imprisoned. I said to him, Who then are you? What is your name? What do you seek here? What are you doing in this place? He said to me, I am the Messiah of the Lord, the son of Hezekiah, confined in prison until the time of the end. When I heard this, I was silent. I hid my face from him. His anger burned within him. And when I looked at him again, I became frightened. He said to me, come nearer to me. And as he spoke to me, my limbs quaked. And he reached out his hand and steadied me. Don't be frightened, he said and let your mind show no fear. He encouraged me and said, Why did you become silent and hide your face from me? I said to him, Because you said, I am the servant of the Lord, his Messiah, and the light of Israel. Suddenly, he appeared like a strong young man, handsome and adorned. I asked him, When will the light of Israel come? And as I was speaking to him, behold, a man with two wings approached me and said to me, Zerubbabel, what are you asking the Messiah of the Lord? 
I answered him and said, I asked when the appointed time for deliverance is supposed to come. Ask me, he replied, and I will tell you. I said to him, Sir, who are you? He answered and said, I am Michael, the one who delivered good news to Sarah. I am the leader of the host of the Lord God of Israel, the one who battled with Sennacherib and smote 180,000 men. I am the prince of Israel, the one who fought battles against the kings of Canaan. In the time to come, I will fight the battles of the Lord alongside the Messiah of the Lord, he who sits before you, with the king strong of face and with Armulus, the son of Satan, the spawn of the stone statue. The Lord has appointed me to be the commanding officer over his people and over those who love him in order to do battle against the leaders of the nations. Now, look, I want to stop right here before we continue. Let's let's analyze. Let's go back to that, that uh, previous. Let's analyze uh, now what's happened. So the Lord's wind took him mm-hmm. and he landed with him in Rome, okay. which he apparently walks in this imprisoned type area or a prison where he finds this despicable man who's uh, jailed up. And the man says, I'm the Messiah. And he also identifies himself as being the son of Hezekiah. Mm-hmm. And Zerubbabel is asking him, Master, when is the farash? When is the relief? You're the light of all of Israel. When are you going to come forward? When is the, the farash going to happen? And then an angel steps in, Michael, and he starts saying, you know, don't ask him, ask me. I'm the one who did this and this and this and this and this. And he begins to give him the answer. But before we move on, I just want to point out something which is super interesting. Okay. There's a hadith that we have in Islam where basically there's a woman who is telling a narration from the Prophet Muhammad This man, he was a Christian who was out sailing at sea. And it was really windy. It was stormy. And the boat goes out of control. And he finds himself and his people landing somewhere on shore. And him and his people go out, the story says, and they find this creature uh, that has like, he's really hairy. They can't even tell the front of his face from the back of his face, you know, from the back of his head, because he's just like full with hair, really thick hair. So they ask him, who are you? So he says, I'm the Jacessa, you know, like the, the, the spy, the creature spy. And then the Jacessa tells him that there's somebody who's eagerly awaiting him in that church, in that place of worship. And so they go inside this temple, this church, and they find in there that there's a guy who's imprisoned and he's chained up. Okay. And the guy begins to ask him, who are you? Where are you from? And, and then he starts asking about events that are taking place in the world right now. And then he asks, has the prophet appeared? Meaning the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And after he's given all of his answers, he reveals who he is. And he says, I'm the Dajjal, I'm the Antichrist. 
and I'm here and I'm imprisoned until a particular time, and then I'm going to be let loose. And so I thought that there was a very interesting correlation between this Jewish scripture, which is attributed to the prophet Zerubbabel, yeah. in which the Jewish Messiah is alive, right, way before the time that he is uh, to be sent, he's alive, and Zerubbabel kind of uh, meets him in this in this cash flow, in this vision, or he's transported uh, to him, and he sees him, and he's imprisoned in a place in, in Rome. And you have also in this hadith, the Antichrist is alive, and he's imprisoned in this place and waiting for the time where he also uh, would be released. That's actually... It's almost eerie, the parallels between the two it stories. Is. It's, like, it's almost the like the exact the same. same story, yeah. except that one of them is the yeah. Messiah and yeah. one of them is the Antichrist. Yeah. All right, let's carry on. Michael, who is also Metatron, answered me saying, I am the angel who guided Abraham through all the land of Canaan. I blessed him in the name of the Lord. I am the one who redeemed Isaac and wept for him. I am the one who wrestled with Jacob at the crossing of the Jabbok. I am the one who guided Israel into the wilderness for 40 years in the name of the Lord. I am the one who appeared to Joshua at Gilgal. I am the one who rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He placed his name within me. Metatron and Gematria is the equivalent of Shaddai. As for you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, whose name is Jeconiah, ask me, and I will tell you what will happen at the end of days. Then he said to me, This is the Messiah of the Lord. He has been hidden in this place until the appointed time for his manifestation. This is the Messiah of the lineage of David. His name is Menahem ben Amiel. He was born during the reign of David, king of Israel, and a wind bore him up and concealed him in this place, waiting for the time of the end. So pause right here. So clearly, uh, now it's saying that the Jewish Messiah was actually born... During the time of David. Yeah. So he's supposed to be a descendant of David, but he's also born in the time of David, and he has this really long lifespan, exactly like the Dejel who is uh, in the hadith that we mentioned. Okay. Then I, Zerubbabel, posed a question to Metatron, the leader of the host of the Lord. He said to me, The Lord will give a rod for accomplishing these salvific acts of Hephzibah, the mother of Menahem ben Amil. A great star will shine before her, and all the stars will wander aimlessly from their paths. Hephzibah, the mother of Menahem ben Amil, will go forth and kill two kings, both of whom are determined to do evil. The names of the two rulers whom she will slay, Noph, the king of Taman, so named because he will shake his hand toward Jerusalem, and the name of the second is Isrenan, king of Antioch. This conflict and these signs will take place during the festival of Shavuot, in the third month. The word is true. 420 years after the city and temple have been rebuilt, they will be destroyed a second time. 20 years after the building of the city of Rome, after 70 kings corresponding to the 70 nations have ruled in it, when 10 kings have finished their reigns, the 10th king will come. He will destroy the sanctuary, stop the daily offering, the saintly people will be dispersed, and he will hand them over to destruction, despoiling and panic. Many of them will perish due to their faithfulness to the Torah, 
but others will abandon the Torah of the Lord and worship their idols. When they stumble, a little help will provide assistance. From the time that the daily offering ceases and the wicked ones install the one whose name is abomination in the temple, at the end of 990 years, the deliverance of the Lord will take place. When the power of the holy people is shattered to redeem them and to gather them by means of the Lord's Messiah. Okay, so now here's interesting. It's interesting here because now here is Jewish evidence from Jewish scriptures mm -hmm. that they understood uh, the visions of Daniel to be referring to the Antichrist and to the events of the end times. Yeah, it is actually uh, quoting verses from Daniel. The rod which the Lord will give to Hepzibah, the mother of Menachem ben Amil, is made of almond wood. It is hidden in Rakat, a city in the territory of Naphtali. It is the same rod which the Lord previously gave to Adam, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and King David. It is the same rod which sprouted buds and flowered into the tent of meeting for the sake of Aaron. Elijah ben Eleazar concealed it in Rakat, a city in Naphtali which is Tiberias. Concealed there as well is a man whose name is Nehemiah ben Hushiel, ben Ephraim ben Joseph. Zerubbabel spoke up and said to Metatron and to Michael the prince, My lord, I want you to tell me when the Messiah of the Lord will come, and what will happen after all of this. He said to me, The Lord's Messiah, Nehemiah ben Hushiel, will come five years after Hepzibah. He will collect all Israel together as one entity, and they will remain for four years in Jerusalem where the children of Israel will offer sacrifice, and it will be pleasing to the Lord. He will inscribe Israel in the genealogical lists according to their families. But in the fifth year of Nehemiah and the gathering together of the holy ones, Suroi, the king of Persia, will attack Nehemiah ben Hushiel and Israel, and there will be great suffering in Israel. Hepzibah, the wife of Nathan the prophet and the mother of Menahem ben Amiel, will go out with the rod which the Lord God of Israel will give to her and the Lord will place a spirit of dizziness upon them, and they will kill one another, each slaying his companion or his countryman. There the wicked one will die. When I heard this, I fell upon my face and said, O Lord, tell me what Isaiah the prophet meant when he said, There the calf will graze, and there it will crouch down and finish its branches. He answered me, This calf is Nineveh, the city of blood, which represents mighty Rome. I continued asking there about the prince of the Holy Covenant. He held me close, and they brought me to the house of filth and scorn. There he showed me a marble stone in the shape of a maiden. Her features and form were lovely, and indeed very beautiful to behold. Then he said to me, This statue is the wife of Belial. Satan will come and have intercourse with it, and a son named Armulus will emerge from it, whose name in Greek means he will destroy a nation. He will rule over all peoples, and his dominion will extend from one end of the earth to the other, and ten letters will be in his hand. He will engage in the worship of foreign gods and speak lies. No one will be able to withstand him, and anyone who does not believe in him will kill with the sword. Many among them will he kill. He will come against the holy people of the Most High, and with him there will be ten kings wielding great power and force, and he will do battle with the holy ones. He will prevail over them and will kill the Messiah of the lineage of Joseph, Nehemiah ben Hushiel, and will also kill sixteen righteous ones alongside him. Then they will banish Israel to the desert in three groups, 
but Hebzibah, the mother of Menahem ben Amiel, will remain stationed at the eastern gate, and that wicked one will not enter there, thereby confirming what was written, but the remainder of the people will not be cut off from the city. This battle will take place during the month of Av. Israel will experience distress such as there never was before. They will flee into towers among mountains and into caves, but they will all be unable to hide from him. All the nations of the earth will go astray after him except for Israel, who will not believe in him. All Israel shall mourn Nehemiah ben Hushiel for forty-one days. His thoroughly crushed corpse will be thrown down before the gates of Jerusalem, but no animal, bird, or beast will touch it. Due to the intensity of the oppression and the great distress, the children of Israel will then cry out to the Lord, and the Lord will answer them. So this is really interesting, though, if we stop at this. This is, wow, many things are taking place right now. So, so now in this narrative, we have what? We have the Antichrist, whose name is Armulus. Yeah. Okay. And uh, when you ask Jewish scholars about the character of Armulus, they say that this is, it's a play on words and it's a reference to Romulus, yeah. who is Rome. So in, 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 in this scenario, this evil character, he's the evil king. He's, the, he's the, the king that's killing everybody. He's that tiny horn. He's the, the son of perdition. He's the one who's going to war against God and, and the prince of princes. Mm-hmm. But we also have in this narrative something interesting, which, which there's two messiahs. There's the first Messiah, who was Menahem, mm-hmm. okay, the son of David. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the Messiah, Nehemiah, mm-hmm. who's referenced and called the Messiah. So now the Jews have two Messiahs in this text. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that when you were reading? Actually, See, it's right there, it says, yeah. it says right there in the middle, and will kill the Messiah of, of the lineage of Joseph, Joseph Nehemiah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a Messiah from the lineage of Joseph, there's Nehemiah, and there's mm-hmm. also a Messiah from the lineage of David, who's called Menahem. Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay. So Nehemiah comes first. He's sent forward first before Menahem. Mm-hmm. And Armulus goes to war against the Jewish Messiah and kills him. So this is a reverse. In the Christian story of the Dishel and of the Messiah, what happens? Jesus always comes and Jesus is the one who kills the Antichrist. The Antichrist, yeah. right? There's no Antichrist in the end of times that kills the Messiah. Right? No. The whole point, the objection of the Jews to accepting Jesus is the fact that he dies, yeah. that he's a Messiah that dies. We don't believe in a Messiah that dies. But yet in their scripture, in their text here, their Messiah yeah. dies. Their Messiah dies. And he's killed by the Antichrist. Messiah. That's really strange. It is, isn't it? Yeah. All right, let's continue. As I listened to the content of the prophecy of the Lord to me, I became very agitated and got up and went to the canal. There I cried out to the Lord God of Israel, the God of all flesh, and he sent his angel to me. While the prayer was still in my mouth before I had finished it, the Lord sent his angel to me. And when I saw him, I knew that he was the angel who had spoken with me regarding all the previous matters. I knelt and bowed before him, and he again touched me like he had the first time. He said to me, What's the matter with you, O Zerubbabel? I answered him, Sir, my spirit remains depressed. Metatron responded by saying to me, 
Ask me questions, and I will provide you with the answers before I depart from you. So I again asked him and said to him, My Lord Metatron, when will the light of Israel come? He answered and said to me, By the Lord who has sent me and who has appointed me over Israel, I solemnly swear to reveal to you the Lord's doings, for the holy God previously commanded me, Go to my servant Zerubbabel and tell him the answers to whatever he may ask of you. Then Michael, who was also Metatron, said to me, Come closer and pay careful attention to everything which I tell you, for the word which I am speaking to you is true. It was one spoken by the living God. He said to me, Menahem ben Amiel will suddenly come on the fourteenth day of the first month, i.e. the month of Nisan. He will wait by the valley of Arbael, which belonged to Joshua, and all the surviving sages of Israel, only a few will remain due to the attack and pillage of Gog and Armulus, and the plunderers who despoiled them will come out of him. Menahem ben Amiel will say to the elders and sages, I am the Lord's Messiah. The Lord has sent me to encourage you and to deliver you from the power of these adversaries. The elders will scrutinize him and will despise him, for they will see that despicable man in rags. They will despise him just as you previously did, but then his anger will burn within him, and he will don garments of vengeance as his clothing, and will put on a cloak of zealousness, and he will journey to the gates of Jerusalem. Hepzibah, the mother of the Messiah, will come and give him the rod by which the signs were performed. All the elders and the children of Israel will come and see that Nehemiah is alive and standing unassisted. Immediately they will believe in the Messiah. Thus did Metatron, the leader of the host of the Lord, swear to me, this matter will truly come to pass, for there will be full cooperation between them, in accordance with the prophecy of Isaiah. Ephraim will not envy Judah, nor will Judah antagonize Ephraim. On the twenty-first day of the first month, nine hundred and ninety years after the destruction of the temple, the deliverance of the Lord will take place for Israel. Menahem ben Amiel, Nehemiah ben Hushiel, and Elijah the prophet will come and stand by the Mediterranean Sea and read the prophecy of the Lord. All the bodies of the Israelites who had thrown themselves into the sea while fleeing from their enemies will emerge. A sea wave will rise up, spread them out, and deposit them alive within the valley of Yehoshaphat, near the Wadi Shittim, for their judgment will transpire upon the nations. In the second month, i.e. Yar, the congregation of Korah will emerge upon the plains of Jericho near the Wadi Shittim. They will come to Moses, and the cohort of the Korahites will assemble. On the eighteenth day of it, the mountains and hills will quake, and the earth and everything in it will shake, as well as the sea and its contents. On the first day of the third month, those who died in the desert will revive and come with their families to the Wadi Shittim. On the eighteenth day of the month of Shivan, there will be a mighty earthquake in Ered. Israel. In Tammuz, the fourth month, the Lord God of Israel will descend upon the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will split open at his rebuke. He will blow a great trumpet, and every foreign deity and mosque will crumble to the ground, and every wall and steep place will collapse. The Lord will kill all their plunderers, and he will battle those nations. The Lord's Messiah, Menahem ben Amil, will come and breathe in the face of Armulus and thereby slay him. The Lord will place each man's sword on the neck of his companion, and their dead bodies shall fall there. The saintly people will come out to witness the Lord's deliverance. All of Israel will actually see him, equipped like a warrior with the helmet of deliverance on his head and clad in armor. He will fight the battle of Gog ha Magog against the army of Armulus, and all of them will fall dead in the valley of Arbael. All of Israel will then issue forth and despoil their despoilers, 
looting those who previously plundered them for seven months. However, some survivors will escape and they will regroup at Zilla Ha'elef. 500 men and another 100,000 wearing armor. Opposing them will be 500 from Israel with Nehemiah and Elijah and you, O Zerubbabel, will be their leader. They will kill all of them. One man will pursue a thousand. This will be the third battle for three battles will take place in the land of Israel. One will be waged by Hephzibah with Saroi the king of Persia. One will be fought by the Lord God of Israel and Menahem ben Amil with Armulus, the ten kings who are with him and Gog and Magog. And the third will be at Zilah Elif, where Nehemiah ben Hushiel and Zerubbabel will see action. The third battle will take place in the month of Av. After all this has taken place, Menahem ben Amil will come accompanied by Nehemiah ben Hushiel and all of Israel. All of the dead will resurrect and Elijah the prophet will be with them. They will come up to Jerusalem. In the month of Av, during which they formerly mourned for Nehemiah and for the destruction of Jerusalem, Israel will hold a great celebration and bring an offering to the Lord, which the Lord will accept on their behalf. The offering of Israel will be pleasing to the Lord, as it was formerly during her past history. The Lord will discern the pleasant aroma of His people Israel and greatly rejoice. Then the Lord will lower the celestial temple, which had been previously built to earth, and a column of fire and a cloud of smoke will rise to heaven. The Messiah and all of Israel will follow them to the gates of Jerusalem. The Holy God will stand on the Mount of Olives. Dread at and reverence for Him will be upon the heavens and the uppermost heavens, the entire earth and its deepest levels and every wall and structure to their foundations. No one will be able to catch their breath when the Lord God reveals Himself before everyone on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will crack open beneath Him and the exiles from Jerusalem will come up to the Mount of Olives. Zion and Jerusalem will behold these things and ask, Who bore these to us? Where have these been? Nehemiah and Zerubbabel will come up to Jerusalem and say to her, Behold, they are your children, whom you bore, who went into exile from you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Again, I started to question Metatron, leader of the host of the Lord. Sir, show me how far and how wide Jerusalem will extend along with its architecture. He showed me the walls which surround Jerusalem, walls of fire, extending from the great desert unto the Mediterranean Sea and unto the Euphrates River. Then he showed me the temple and the structure. The temple was built on the peaks of five mountains, which the Lord had chosen to support his sanctuary, Lebanon, Moriah, Tabor, Carmel, and Hermon. Michael spoke to me and said, At the completion of 990 years for the ruins of Jerusalem is the appointed time for the deliverance of Israel. He also continued to interpret for me the message and the vision in accordance with what he had first said to me. If you wish to know, ask. Keep coming back. I'm, I'm really, like, yeah. amazed because it's the first time I've read this. I've never seen it reading. before. In the fifth year of the week, Nehemiah ben Hushiel will come and gather together all Israel. In the sixth year of the week, Hephzibah, the wife of Nathan the prophet, she who was born in Hebron, will come and slay two kings, Naf and Ersrogan. That same year, the shoot of Jesse, Menahem ben Amil, will spring up. Ten kings from among the nations shall also arise, but they will not supply enough rulers to rule for a week of years and a half a week of years, each one ruling for a year. These are the ten kings who will arise over the nations for the week of years. These are their names correlated with their cities and their places. The first king is Silcom, and the name of his city is Sepharad, which is Espamia, a distant country. 
The second king is Hartamos, and the name of his city is Gitania. The third king is Flavus, Flavius, and the name of his city is Floius. The fourth king is Gluas, Julius, and the name of his city is Gallia, Gaul. The fifth king is Ramoshidis, and the name of his city is Modetica. The sixth king is Moclanos, and the name of his city is Italia. The seventh king is Octinos, and the name of his city is Dormis. The eighth king is Aplostos from Mesopotamia. The ninth king is Seroi, the king of Persia. The tenth king is Armulus, the son of Satan, who will emerge from the sculpted stone. He will gain sovereignty over all of them. He will come along with the rulers of Kedar. So I want to I stop there for a moment and just point out um, two things. <laughs> so you remember uh, the 10th the horn, it was part of that fourth beast um, and the vision of Daniel, and it was an iron beast, mm -hmm. remember? Yes. So it was like, it was not a, 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 a biological beast, but it was an iron beast. And over here, you have also the 10th king is Armulus, who's the son of Satan, who emerged from the sculpted stone. So it's like a, a stone beast. There's a stone connection between uh, Armulus, the son of Satan. And also when we go to the book of Revelations, there's the whole thing of, of, of a statue, but we'll go more into that and talk about that. Uh, in the Christian section. Yeah. And I also want to point out, do you know who the rulers of Qadar are? No. Okay, so Qadar is basically, is another word for Arabs. And okay. it's talking about specifically the Arabs of Arabia, Sinai, uh, Jordan, and that whole area like that. Okay. Okay? okay. So now Armulus, the son of Satan, emerges from the sculpted stone he gains sovereignty over all of them, meaning all of those previous kings that you, you mentioned. He will come along with the rulers of Qadar, the Arab rulers, and the inhabitants of the east and provoke a battle in the valley. The tenth king is Armulus, the son of Satan, who will emerge from the sculpted stone. He will gain sovereignty over all of them. He will come along with the rulers of Qadar and the inhabitants of the east and provoke a battle in the valley of Arbel, and they will take possession of the kingdom. He will ascend with his force and subdue the entire world. From there the Ribla, which is Antioch, he will begin to erect all the idols of the nations on the face of the earth and to serve their gods, those whom the Lord hates. During those days there will be reward for neither human nor beast. He will construct four altars and he will anger the Lord with his wicked deeds. There will be a very terrible and harsh famine upon the surface of the whole land for forty days. Their food will stem from salt plant, leaves plucked from shrubbery, and broom to sustain them. On that day a fountain will flow forth from the temple of the Lord and will fill Wadi Shittim. Now this Armelos will take his mother, the statue, from whom he was spawned, from the house of filth of the scorned ones, and from every place and from every nation they will come and worship that stone, burn offerings to her, and pour out libations to her. No one will be able to view her face due to her beauty. Anyone who refuses to worship her will die in agony, like animals. This is the mark of Armulus. The color of the hair of his head is similar to gold, and he is green, even the soles of his feet. His face is one span in width. His eyes are deep set, and he has two heads. He will arise and rule over Imis, the province of Satan, the father of Belial. All who see him will tremble before him. Menahem will come up from the Wadi Shittim and breathe in the face of Armulus and thereby slay him, just as it is written. He will slay the wicked one with the breath of his mouth. 
Israel will take possession of the kingdom. The holy ones of the Most High will receive sovereign power. These were the words which Metatron spoke to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, future governor of Judah, while he was still living in exile during the time of the Persian Empire. Zechariah ben Anan and Elijah recorded them when the period of exile was completed. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, one of the most fascinating things I've, I've read, I had no idea that these concepts uh, existed in the Jewish scriptures. Yeah. I feel like that's really well hidden. So once again, to summarize, what do we have here? We have confirmations that the Jews understood the visions of Daniel to be referring to the events and the battles that take place between the, the little horn um, out of those ten horns that comes after those ten horns, which is Armulus, he's the son of Satan, he's the anti-Messiah, and he's uh, in a battle against the Jewish Messiah, in which this text, there's two Jewish Messiahs. One is the son of Joseph, one's the son of David. And it's the son of Joseph who is killed by the anti-Messiah, um, and the son of David who takes revenge for him and then resurrects the, the first Messiah before him. Yeah. yeah? Okay, let's see if there's another scripture that we can go to in Judaism. Uh, the next one is much shorter than this one. Um, it's the, from the Midrash, and we're going to uh, go over this and, and see what it says. Okay. The Lord will reign. Moses said to Israel, you have seen all the miracles, mighty feats, and marvels that the Lord has done for you. Even more is He planning to do for you in the future age. The world to come will not be like the present world. The present world has wars and troubles, as well as the evil impulse, Satan, and the angel of death, who have authority to rule in this world. But the world to come will be free of troubles and hatred. Satan and the angel of death will be absent. There will be no lamentations or subjugation, and the evil impulse will exist no more. As Scripture attests, he will destroy death forever, and the Lord will wipe the tears from every face. And it is written, On that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will deliver us. As the days of the Messiah draw near, Gog and Magog will come up against the land of Israel, for he will hear that Israel has no ruler and dwells unconcerned. Immediately he will take with him seventy-one nations and come up to Jerusalem, thinking, Pharaoh was a fool when he gave the command to kill the males and leave the females. Balak was a simpleton, for he sought to curse them, but he did not realize their God would instead bless them. Haman was insane, for he wanted to kill them, but he did not realize that their God would be able to deliver them. However, I will not act thusly. Instead, I will go up and do battle with their God first, and only after that will I kill them. For Scripture says, The kings of the earth stand up together, and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His Anointed One. The Holy One, blessed be He, will say to him, Wicked One, You wish to do battle with me? By your life, I will indeed do battle with you. Immediately the Holy One, blessed be He, will rain down on him stones of hail, which are stored in the heavens, and strike them a crushing blow. As Scripture states, And this will be the blow which the Lord will strike the Gentiles when they amass armies against Jerusalem. His flesh will rot where he is standing, his eyes will decay in their sockets, and each one's tongue will rot in their mouths. After that, another king will arise, a wicked one and strong of face, and he will wage war with Israel for three months. His name is Armulus, and these are his signs. He will be bald with one of his 
his eyes small and the other large. His right arm is short and his left arm is two and a half cubits long. His forehead will be leprous and his right ear will be closed up and the other one open. Whenever a person comes to tell him good things, he turns his closed up ear toward him. But if a person wants to speak wickedly, he turns his open ear toward him. He will come to Jerusalem and kill the Messiah of the lineage of Joseph, as scripture attests, and those who are pierced will behold him, and they shall mourn for him, like one who mourns an only child. After that, the Messiah of the lineage of David will come, regarding which scripture affirms, and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a mortal man, and it is written afterwards, he will have authority and royal dignity. He will kill Armulus, the wicked, as scripture attests. He will slay the wicked one with the breath of his lips. Yeah, so what do we have here that stands out? Once again, it's it's a different Jewish source. It's kind of repeating the exact same thing, but more summarized. It's saying that there's two messiahs. You have the messiah from the lineage of Joseph and messiah from the lineage of David. And you have Armulus, the anti-messiah, the antichrist. Armulus goes to kill the messiah from the lineage of Joseph. Mm -hmm. The messiah from the lineage of David takes revenge. And it also gives us a description of Armulus. What does he look like? Yeah. And some of it is actually familiar to what we've heard and read about in the Dejela, the Antichrist, uh, from Muslim sources. Yeah. Uh, similar to it. Because the Muslim sources basically says that he's blind in one eye mm -hmm. and he sees from the other. Uh, this one's saying that he has one large eye and one small eye. And in the Islamic sources, it says that it's written on his forehead, kafir, disbeliever. On this one, it's saying his forehead will be leprous. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's continue and see what happens. Then the Holy One, blessed be he, will gather Israel, those who have been dispersed here and there, as scripture says. Let me whistle for them, and I will gather them, when I have redeemed them, and they will be as numerous as they formerly were. In Jerusalem will be suspended 72 precious stones, which will shine from one end of the world to the other. And the nations of the world will come to that light, as it is written, The nations will come to your light, and rulers will come to the luster of your shine. The Holy One, blessed be He, will lower the temple from heaven, the same one which the Holy One, blessed be He, showed to Moses. As scripture states, You will bring them and plant them upon the mount of your territory. A place for your dwelling have you made, O Lord. A temple, my Lord, your hands have established. Israel shall dwell there for two thousand years, and they will feast upon the flesh of Leviathan. At the end of two thousand years, the Holy One, blessed be He, will seat Himself upon a throne of judgment in the valley of Yehoshaphat. Immediately the heavens and earth will be displaced, and the sun and moon embarrassed, as Scripture states, the moon will be ashamed and the sun embarrassed. From whence do we learn that final judgment will be pronounced on the third day? Scripture attests, He will revitalize us for two days. On the third day, He will stand us up, and we will live before Him. This verse refers to the final judgment. The Holy One, blessed be He, will bring before Him every nation and language group and say, What did you serve in the world that has departed, and whom did you worship? They will respond, Idols of silver and gold. The Holy One, blessed be He, will say to them, Pass through the fire there, 
and should your gods be able to rescue you, he will rescue you. Immediately they will pass through and be emulated. As scripture says, the wicked will return to Sheol, all the nations who have forgotten God. Then Israel shall come, and the Holy One, blessed be he, will say to them, Whom have you worshipped? Immediately they will respond, Indeed you, our father, for Abraham did not know us, nor did Israel recognize us, but you, O Lord, are our father. Our eternal deliverer is your name. Immediately the Holy One, blessed be he, will rescue them from the sentence of Jehannam, and they will dwell in the garden of Eden and enjoy its fruits, as scripture states, and the poor will inherit the earth and enjoy abundant prosperity. Then the Holy One, blessed be he, will renovate the heavens and the earth for them, as scripture says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. When the Holy One, blessed be he, renews the world, he will arrange the orders of the righteous and the orders of the pious, and he will do similarly for every generation created entity and breathing organism. The earth, which is destined to renew, will bring forth trees and all types of choice fruits, and everything will live forever and ever. The one who has performed miracles and marvels during these present days and at this present time, he is the one who will perform miracles and marvels for us during future days and at this future time. He will gather us from the four ends of the earth and lead us to Jerusalem, where he will gladden us within it, and we will say, Amen, Salah. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's take finally a look at the Jewish encyclopedia. What it says, what it has to say, what's the summary of all of the texts that they have about um, the anti-Messiah? In later Jewish eschatology and legend, a king who will arise at the end of time against the Messiah and will be conquered by him after having brought much distress upon Israel the origin of this Jewish Antichrist, as he can well be styled in view of his relation to the Messiah, is as much involved in doubt as different phases of his development and his relation to the Christian legend and doctrine. Saadia's Tradition of Armulus Saadia is the earliest trustworthy authority that speaks of Armulus. He mentions the following as a tradition of the ancients, hence of the 8th century at the latest. If the Jews do not prove themselves worthy of messianic salvation, God will force them to repentance by terrible persecutions. In consequence of these persecutions, a scion of the tribe of Joseph will arise and wrest Jerusalem from the hands of the Edomites, that is, from the Christians. The Arabic text of Landauer has correctly Jerusalem and not temple, as in the Hebrew translation, which has its owing to an erroneous interpretation of the Arabic. Albait al-Maktis. Thereupon the king Armulus will conquer and sack the holy city, kill the inhabitants together with the man, Messiah, of the tribe of Joseph, and then begin a general campaign against the Jews, forcing them to flee into the desert, where they will suffer untold misery. When they have been purified by sorrow and pain, the Messiah will appear, wrest Jerusalem from Armulus, slay him, and thereby bring the true salvation. Armulus in the Apocalyptic Midrashim Armulus is for Sadia, or rather Sadia's sources, nothing more or less than the last powerful anti-Jewish king, the Gog of the prophets under another name. The same thing is said of Gog that Sadia says of Armulus in Agadot Mashiach. But the role ascribed there to the Messiah, son of Joseph, shows that this Midrash is not Sadia's source. Armulus and Satan. However, an entirely different shape and meaning are given to Armulus and some smaller midrashim dealing with the latter days. In the midrash Wayosha, which comes nearest to Sadia's conception, Armulus is taken to be Gog's successor, but is represented as a monstrosity, bald-headed, 
with one large eye and one small eye, deaf in the right ear, and maimed in the right arm, while the left arm is two and one-half ells long. His battle with and his defeat by the Messiah son of Joseph correspond with Sadia's account. A similar description of Armulus is found in The Secrets of Simon ben Yohai, a pseudepigraph, the latest redaction of which cannot antedate the First Crusade. The statement found there that Armulus is the son of Satan and of a stone is an interpolation from another source written in Aramaic, while the book itself is in Hebrew. Nor is this curious origin of Armulus mentioned anywhere else in the book. An entirely different conception of Armulus is found in the pseudepigraphs, Zerubbabel, Signs of the Messiah, and Prayer of R. Simon ben Yohai. Aside from a few unimportant variants in these three versions, the Zerubbabel seems to show the earlier, shorter form. They agree in the following description of Armulus. In Rome, there is a splendid marble statue of a beautiful girl, which God himself made in the beginning of the world, according to the version given in Tefillat R. Simon. Through sexual intercourse of evil men, or even Satan himself with the statue, a terrible creature in human form was produced, whose dimensions as well as shape were equally monstrous. This creature, Armulus by name, the Gentiles call him Antichrist, says Otot, will set himself up as Messiah, even as God himself being recognized as such by the sons of Esau, that is, by the Christians. He agrees to accept as his doctrine the Gospels, which the Christians lay before him. Then he turns to the Jews, especially to their leader, Nehemiah ben Hushiel, saying, Bring your Torah and acknowledge that I am God. Nehemiah and his followers open the Torah and read to Armulus, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But as Armulus nevertheless insists upon being recognized as God by the Jews, and they cry out to him that he is Satan and not God, a bitter battle breaks out between Armulus with an immense heathen army on one side and Nehemiah with 30,000 Jewish heroes on the other. This unequal combat ends in the death of the Ephraimite Messiah and a million Jews. After an interval of 45 days, during which the Jews unworthy of messianic glory die out, and the remnant have shown their true worth in sore trials and bitter sufferings in the desert, whither they have fled. Michael will blow his trumpet. Then the Messiah and Elijah will appear, gather the dispersed of Israel, and proceed to Jerusalem. Armulus, inflamed against the Jews, will march against the Messiah. But now God himself will war against Armulus and his army and destroy them. Or the Messiah, as one version has it, will slay Armulus by the breath of his mouth. According to a Roman legend, it was an Armulus who presumed to war with Jupiter and was slain by the latter's thunderbolt. In the Armulus legend, the Messiah takes the place of Jupiter, and here also Armulus is slain by fire and sulfur from heaven. The later Armulus legend. The alleged descent of Armulus from a stone is a Jewish version of the widespread legend connected with the name of Virgil and referring to a statue that became a courtesan among the Romans. It is indeed not improbable that this borrowing from the Virgil legend was due to Christian influence. The antithesis, Christ and Antichrist, which is the distinctive feature in the Christian legend of the Antichrist, led already in the 10th century to the opinion that the Antichrist also would be the offspring of a virgin and, of course, of Satan. As to the origin of the name Armulus, whether it is derived from Romulus, the founder of Rome, or from Ahriman, the evil principal of the Persians, Arimanius, or Armalgus. And that is the, the, final, uh, the final section from the Jewish yes, encyclopedia. There was, there was a lot of text. 
Yes. Um, there was a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what can we get out of it? Um, I mean, I'm just struck by all the parallels because I'm, I, I was more familiar with the, what we know about the Antichrist from the perspective of Christianity and Islam. But I, I found that looking into the, to the Jewish scriptures, uh, there's actually so many parallels from what exists in these, uh, these other faiths. And, um, yeah, and I feel in, like in Christianity, we have what we have this, the sequence of events as such that, that basically the Messiah is sent to the Jews and that's Jesus, mm-hmm. the son of Mary and Joseph. Right. Mm-hmm. And what happens to Jesus? He's betrayed. He's crucified. Right. And who's he betrayed by? His, his own uh, people. His own people, and particularly he's betrayed by Judas. By Judas, yes. Okay. And what happens? Jesus is crucified, mm-hmm. and he dies, and he returns in the end times in the book of Revelation uh, after the appearance of the Antichrist. And what takes place? He slays the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So it's Messiah appears... He's killed, the Antichrist appears, and then the Messiah kills the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. In Islam, what is it? Jesus appears, he's the Messiah, he's the son of Mary and Joseph, and what happens? They betray him, he's taken away to be killed, God raises him, right, and takes him away. And then much later into the future, the Antichrist appears. And then what happens? He wreaks havoc, chaos. And then Jesus comes, the true Messiah. And the true Messiah slays the... Antichrist. Antichrist. Mm -hmm. So in the apparent even, and the Quran says that they killed Jesus in the apparent. So in the apparent of the story of Christianity and in the apparent of the story of Islam... Um, Messiah appears, gets slayed, um, comes back in the future after the Antichrist, and the and then he slays the Antichrist. And then we find here that in the only Jewish sources which speak about the coming of the Messiah and his battles against Armulus, who's the son of Satan, who's the anti-Messiah, we see that there's a Messiah that's sent. The Messiah that's sent is the son of Joseph. Mm-hmm. And what happens? He's killed. He's killed by the Antichrist. By the Antichrist. And then the Antichrist wreaks havoc. Mm-hmm. And then the Messiah comes, who's the Messiah son of David, and the Messiah son of David kills the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So actually, in Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, we find that there are three stories that have to do with the coming of the Antichrist and the coming of the Messiah. It's exactly the same. It's identical. And in all three cases, the Messiah that was sent initially fails to rule, fails to bring justice and equity to, to, to the people. He's, he's basically defeated yeah. by the Antichrist. Yeah. And in the Bible... There's two references to the son of perdition. One of the references 
is on Jesus's tongue in which he, he basically is saying that he's going to be betrayed by the son of perdition, that all of his sheep are saved except for the son of perdition. Mm-hmm. And many of the scholars understand this to be a direct reference to Judas. Mm-hmm. Judas is being called here the son of perdition. Then later in, in Thessalonians, it's, it's making a reference to the son of perdition, but it's talking explicitly about the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's one of these, uh, it's a rare, not so well-known theory, but it is a theory that's out there that the Antichrist is actually the second coming of Judas Iscariot. Wow. So uh, Antichrist comes, he betrays and kills the Messiah, yeah? And and then he actually resurrects again in the future as the Antichrist, who's Judas Iscariot, and Jesus, the son of Mary, comes back a second time in order to take vengeance uh, on him in the future. Isn't that interesting? That's extremely interesting. We're going to talk about uh, more on that when we come to the the episode of the Antichrist in Christianity. Uh, But what we have is that um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all three of them, uh, they agree that now there is an Antichrist. Uh, I think they all agree now that the Antichrist is the spawn of Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, has to do with evil. He's the ultimate evil. Um, and I think it's it's very fascinating that all three religions have the Messiah being slain beforehand. And, and, and really for Jews, I think this is the reason why they tend to not highlight texts like this and talk about them, because if they do talk about them, then they're left with no excuse on on why it is that they can reject Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in their own scriptures, it foretells of a Messiah that comes to them, but is slain. Yes, right? I, I completely was thinking this, like, but I can see why they kind of don't emphasize this story in these texts, because... You have two messiahs there and you have to explain what's up with that, like what happened with this messiah who's slain. And if you, as you said, this is their entire reason for not believing in Jesus and not moving forward and uh, uh, believing in who God sent, uh, Jesus and after Jesus. So, yeah, these these texts are are just sitting there and uh, being hidden and ignored and in them is the key to to understanding the truth. Thank you so much for for teaching this. For joining me on this episode. I think it's probably been a long time. It's a very long episode uh, by now. So uh, we'll come back, I guess, in the uh, second episode and continue. I really can't wait. Thank you so much. Thank you.